0: Welcome to the Wellcast.
1: Life is messy. We're here to help you sort it
0: out. Well, hello. Welcome back to another Wellcast episode. We're on part two of our conversation around racial wreck and all the fun
2: stuff that goes along with that. What's up, Mike? Jordan, I'm doing well, man. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with Brian King. Yeah, you've gotten to know Brian pretty well over the course of the last, what did you say, year? It's been a couple of years now. I mean, ever since I've been here at the well, he was one of the first people I went out to lunch with. And it's been a a growing relationship ever since.
0: Honestly, if you have the chance to get to know Brian, I really haven't had a lot of personal, but I've heard his story in a lot of context. I mean, the guy has been through it
2: his life is like a movie. Like, it's, <laughs> there's no other way to say it. Like, his yeah. story, if you didn't know him and trust him, his story is so unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Jesus is such at the center of his story. And like, I mean, you talk about transformations, right?
2: It's like a Saul de Paul transformation. It's 100%. amazing.
0: yeah. I mean, from gang life in Chicago, right, to church life in Fresno, he's made and done a huge amount of things in Fresno. He's made huge waves. In the racial reconciliation conversation, as well as the well itself, our connection with the black community here.
2: Every salvation story is a miracle, but his is just unbelievable. And I love mm-hmm. that he's here. I love to get to know him. And, mm-hmm. and Jordan, for us, you know, as we thought back to part one on this, we really felt that it was incomplete and we felt like we needed a different perspective. And
0: yeah, you'd mentioned, hey, here's three white guys in a room processing racial yeah. reconciliation. I mean, white, it is a good thing. That white men are talking about this because everyone needs to talk about this. Uh, This is a, a heart of God issue. But as far as perspectives go, it is a healthy thing that we get someone like Brian, a black man who's lived a lot of life and had a lot of experiences in the room as well.
2: Yeah, and look, I think it's so pivotal in the church today that white evangelical conservatives, much like myself... I know you're mixed race. Uh, we solved that earlier. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm
0: not. Uh, I, Most people think I Yes, I, am. Yeah. I'm just kidding.
2: But uh, I, I think it's important that white evangelical conservatives like myself are willing to enter in, whether we agree or not, to enter into this conversation and hear somebody else's perspective, mm-hmm. not pundits on the news, but actual people that we're sitting face-to-face with with a genuine spirit of curiosity. And so I wanted us to enter into this conversation with Brian with a genuine spirit of curiosity. Just like Brad, we're not gonna agree with everything Brian said, but we can't hear one side of the story.
0: I have uh, this interesting story recently that kind of came up as you're talking in my mind. Jamie and I were driving and we were on a quick getaway, just us without the kid, and we saw a sign in someone's front yard. Doesn't matter what's on the sign, there was a list of socio statements, I would call it, right? Like, here's what I believe, here's what I love. And it's like a- it cor- say, I
2: love donuts?
0: <laughs> well, the, I, uh, I, no, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and that's so
2: out of left field. Yeah, I don't know, I, was I thinking about I don't
0: feel like, yeah, if it did, I wouldn't even be talking about it now. I'd just be like, I agree. Yeah, uh, So it's a corrugated cardboard sign. And I remember saying, how crazy would it be if a Christian- could simply buy a party line sign off of Amazon that just summarized everything we believe. Right. The reality is we live in a world right now that wants us to separate by party, that wants us to parse each other off and label each other and then just be downloaded with whatever that particular group thinks mm-hmm. and then join that mass. And we, we face a very real Savior who in the Gospels says, look, I have a third way for you. And that doesn't only include certain views on the world given to you by your political people. What it does include is the gospel. And that gospel brings together everyone. And so this is a very important issue to the church, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, when Jesus came, he broke the political and the religious mold. He was outside of what was offered at that time. And I would say he's outside of what we have been offered by society at this time. And so that's why it's so important for people not to think Republicans are the, the party of Jesus or Democrats are the party of Jesus, but, but really within those parties, even though that's all we've gotten, to recognize the brokenness of the system that only presents those two parties and to ask the, the greater questions of what does it look like for me? me to be a Christian in a society that only presents two opportunities to identify with. And and I think when we're faced with those, we have to come to the place where we're willing to identify as a follower of Christ ahead of a Democrat or a Republican. And followers of Christ ask the question, How would Jesus have me enter into this situation? Yeah, I feel
0: like I've been like processing this lately, and I have have, like a natural aversion to like cheesy Christian things. Yeah, but I'm like, man, should I just buy a bunch of WWJD bracelets for the youth group? Like, it really is an if it's not commercialized, it's an amazing concept, right? What would Jesus do? And more than anything, what would Jesus reconcile? What would He think? what would he
2: teach, right? Imagine what the church would look like if everybody asked that question. And <laughs> yeah. yet I think in so many ways we we fall short with that, which is normal I and mean, we're broken society, but Jesus has the answer. He is the answer. And I, I just know as we as a church process all of these things, we have to do it with an open hand. We have to be willing to enter in. Yeah. And if all we're doing is holding the party line, we're not making progress towards what Christ wants us to be like. And that's the goal of, of the church. It's the goal of discipleship. And really, it's how the gospel needs to come to bear on our lives.
0: Our, I think our both of our desire with this podcast is that we just learn. Open your hearts, your ears to what Brian has. We have wholesale more in common with people of Christ in any culture than anyone else in the world. And so, listen, learn. There may be some challenging pieces for you. Keep your heart open to a brother who wants to simply offer you a perspective.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, Jordan. And so uh, without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Brian King. All right. Well, welcome to this episode of the Wellcast. I'm here with Jordan and our guest, Brian King. Brian King, besides being a a close personal friend of mine, he's also a pastor here on staff at The Well. He's our neighborhood pastor. And what that means is he serves us and serves the area of Southwest Fresno, predominantly black area of Fresno. And he's been doing ministry there for 20 years. And so we're really grateful, Brian, to have you on the
1: podcast, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, Brian, so just to jump right into it, you know, you've been doing ministry a long time. So describe to me what your experience has been like growing up and the racial conversation around that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in between two of the largest housing complex with 100 percent African-American. Wow. Yeah. In the 60s. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent African-American. Wow. So the voice at that particular time was not Farrakhan, but it was Elijah Muhammad. Mm. And or gang chiefs that ran and kind of controlled the community Is that Nation of Islam? Yeah, Nation of Islam okay. This is before, this is the mentor to Louis Farrakhan mm. wow. And so his, uh, and he and he produced a paper monthly that was uh, Muhammad speech and so that was a paper that came out that taught us that segregation was good that we needed to do our own thing we need to be aware of the blonde hair blue-eyed devil and that was all white people and so we grew up under that ideology and we adapted it and, and became people who began to push that same narrative throughout uh our communities. wow so
0: your narrative growing up was white people are bad or evil
1: Oh, yeah, it was there because uh, you got to understand, I grew up in the 60s when civil rights was big. Again, the Nation of Islam was big. There were racial tensions all over, mm-hmm. civil rights marches, uh, Martin Luther King getting uh, being assassinated. And just as today, the media were able to sensationalize this whole deal. And people went from one side to the other. And so I'm African-American, 100%. So I went with the African-American community. And I believe because the information I was getting was coming from a reliable source. My mothers, my grandmothers, my uncles, my mm-hmm. my teachers, my everywhere I went because it was a hundred percent African American community.
0: Yeah, there's a response prejudice in that, right? Like the op- opposition right. to the prejudice being shown is prejudice. Right. So can you just like walk us through I mean, obviously we kind of joked because our first conversation was three white guys in a room talking about racial reconciliation. And now our second one is, you know, uh, us again, but you being an African-American man, having an experience, but now you're working with a predominantly white church in a very different situation than you described. You know, how do we get from A, being raised to hate white people, to, I don't know, Z or past that, being where we're at now?
1: Well, it's called Calvary. Mm. It's the cross, you know, Being able to be reconciled to God and then being able to use that to go and be reconciled to people of God's image. You know, I don't care what color you are, white, black, brown. You know, if you're a Christian or or if you're made in God's image, I, I love you. You know, it didn't come easy. But once I found out the truth about who God was and what God did for us, that I'm not, I don't have no choice but to love those who I see because how can I say I love God and who I don't see and I don't love my neighbors and who I see. That's a that's a
2: beautiful statement and, and a beautiful transition from your old life to your new life in Christ. I, I love hearing that story. Every time you share that with me, Brian, I, I love that story because one of the things I love about you the most is that your focus is always dead set on the gospel. And in a lot of ways, you inspire me Throughout this entire narrative of racial divide in our country, you inspire me to be uh, focused, dead set on the gospel and on the cross. And and so I think one of my questions that I have for you is, how does the gospel play in the racial division that we experience here in our country? What would you say when you consider racial division in light of the gospel?
1: Well, I, I don't have to say it. Martin Luther King said it a while back. Eleven o'clock is probably the most segregated hour. On Sunday, yeah. On Sunday and we buy into that. You just said, you know, Brian, here you are the only African American working at a uh predominant white church. That that shouldn't be Yeah, we still have the black church, white yes, church. White, but but when when uh Christ is coming back for a church Not white church, not black. It's his church. Mm -hmm. One church. And so if we think that we're going to slide by by doing what we think is right, instead of understanding that Christ himself said a house divided can't stand. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not fin to allow myself to be caught up in any of that. You know, I, I'm grateful because, again, I, I got bullet wounds. I got stab wounds. I've got years of being used perfectly by Satan. I had a buddy tell me the other day, man, when you came to Christ, we said that hell went into mourning. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I believe that because I spent 28 years in a gang. And now I'm almost the same in with Christ. But the thing I understood was being part of a gang was loyalty. And so I was loyal to that gang. And that's one of the greatest things I'm glad that they taught me. So when I became a Christian, that same loyalty is to Christ now. Hmm. Yeah, let me ask you this, because you quoted Martin Luther King and said that 11 o'clock on a
2: Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. So how do you think that the church, which... Many say has dropped the ball in the past. I wasn't alive yet, but a lot of people would say that the church didn't come through for the minority populations in our country in times like the 60s and the 70s. How can the church improve on how we talk about and what we do about the racial divide in our country?
1: I think we need to just open the book. And say, and see what God said. We use God to answer everything else, but we're not using Him to answer this. There are hundreds of scriptures that tell how we get past this racial divide. But are we willing to become uncomfortable? Are we too afraid because we don't quite know if we're going to? say something out of ignorance or who our culture is going to come up and and collide with other cultures. And so instead of doing that, we can hide because we can say, hey, man, look at my church. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So I don't really have to do that other hard stuff to go and, and work with people like that.
2: Yeah, that's good. I know. I don't know about you, Jordan, but I know that that's an issue that I've had in the past. Is I'm afraid to say the wrong thing, or I, and Brian, you and I have talked about that in in our own you know one on one conversations. But it's just it's so hard as a white male to know what you can and can't say. It, it's tough, but but I've learned it's worse not to engage in the conversation at all.
1: Have you have you ever said the wrong thing to? A white person? I'd
2: like to say no, but uh, I definitely have. Yeah, I'd like to say no, but yeah, I've, I say something wrong to my wife like every oh, yeah. every day.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you get through it mm-hmm. because of the Christ in you and the Christ in her. So I believe that we're going to say the wrong things, but we have to love and yeah. doing it. That's so good. That's Brian, so good. Brian, you,
0: I mean, this cultural moment is not unique, but it feels very thick with a lot of racial tension. And a lot of like our country feeling like it's at the forefront of a lot of our minds, you know, with the either the um, the instances of either uh, uh, police shootings or brutality or rioting and things like that. It feels so divided. And you talked about the place should, we should all probably come together as the church, but that's not always the case. I mean, I feel like we've gotten Brad's perspective. And I would love to hear your perspective on sort of the cultural moment we live in, being that racism or prejudice and things like that are kind of at the forefront of our country.
1: Yeah, I think, again, I, I think that we're missing it. The reconciliation has to come through the cross. There's no other way. And I tell Mike a lot, you know, In the 90s, when I came to California, I became a Christian. Early 90s, me and a great friend of mine, Doug Neufeld, at the time our Promise Keepers was coming around, they seen our relationship that we had as African-American guy and a white guy. And they say, man, since it's racial reconciliation and Promise Keepers, we need to let these guys be the poster boys for racial reconciliation. And me and Doug were like, "Hey, man, we not trying to be racial reconciliation. This is my brother in Christ, man. I love him, and so much that you know, we we eat together. I'm at his house. He's at my house. And so we did it. And then in the late '90s, they had another deal. After I think it was after the O.J. Simpson. Case the country was divided again, and we started talking about how do we begin to work with racial reconciliation. So me and Bob Engle, who was a director of World Impact, were put on stage, and so me and Bob were like, "Okay, you know, let let's try to help." And but I'm like, "Bob, we we we're reconciled through Christ." And then in the early 2000s, something else happened. I think Rodney King or something else happened, and and all of a sudden, me and HBS were. Thrown out in front of the uh, community and church as racial reconciliation, and then I came here one morning for a men's breakfast in the late 2000s, and they said, "Hey, Brian, won't you and Danny get up and talk about racial reconciliation?" I say, "Man, listen, I've been reconciled since the 90s. Y'all, y'all got to <laughs> find another way." And so I was looking at that and saying, "Man, why am I the only one that's out of?" two decades or better, why am I still the only one reconciled? That's a question I can't answer. That's a question my white brothers have to answer. Mm-hmm. Because and my brown brothers and my black brothers and my because I have, man, bought in to Christ, man. I, and I understand that one day this sky is going to crack and I can't give him an excuse that I was uncomfortable, or I was this. I have to thank him for even giving me opportunity to be a part of his kingdom and moving forward. So I don't you know, I really I hope that kind of helps in understanding that if it's not going to come legitimately through the cross, it's not going to happen. That's yeah, good.
0: And so one of the hot button words that keeps getting thrown around is something like systemic racism, right? And, you know, a lot of that has to do with your personal experience most of the time, right? And and most people would say that, like, if you haven't personally experienced it, you're not inclined to believe it exists. And so uh, I think one valuable thing we can do is just say, hey, have you, Brian, as a black man who grew up through a lot of different social climates in this country. Have you ever experienced anything that you would call that?
1: You know, one of the things that I'm here for is to try to help disprove those myths. Mm. But as you continue to look around our society, there is places that have been left far behind. There's business opportunities that haven't really picked up great talent from other cultures. There's, I mean, we just having our first African-American female vice president. There's a lot of things that, uh, and and I understand that things have been abolished because these different policies have been implemented to say you have to, a redlining and all that has to be abolished, but has it? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so-
0: Well, and have you ever experienced anything personally that you feel like speaks to that brokenness? Every, every,
1: everything I do, my twenty years in West Fresno. How can you be in a in in a in in a community where there's not uh, for forty thousand people and there's not a middle school? Mm. How can you be in a community where there's not a shopping center? How can you be in a community where there's not even a bank and liquor stores and predatory lending is? at its all-time high. And when we used to lend dollars 50 cents on the dollar, it was called long shocking, and we went to jail for it. Mm -hmm. But now some people can put it together and put it in these poor communities and ravage those communities with all this high interest and all this. And, you know, what do you you think?
0: I'm interested to hear in, like, personal stories you have, you know? Like if there's a time where you feel like, hey, this is something I— Actually, experienced this is something that happened to me that I think those systemic issues are really interesting, right? As far as like accessibility, you know, the shopping center thing is something that I didn't know until a long time ago, or not a long time ago, recently that West Fresno didn't have a real grocery store yeah. until that Food Max shopping center went in, and that's like pretty
1: recent, right? Right, and so it did happen because I was there. Mm-hmm. That was my community. There was advocates for the community that you saying? There, no, I was there. Oh, yeah. It was my community. Mm-hmm. I was over there fighting for that yeah. and wondering why we don't have these things here in this community. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you talk about experience, that that was my personal experience mm-hmm. because everything that grew out of that, I had to try to minister to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Mm. One of the things that I'm interested in is, since you've been here at The Well, I've seen you put a priority on cultivating relationships, so interracial relationships. I know uh, you and I are and Brad are part of a cohort of people throughout our city that you put together, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful because I've met some incredible men through that opportunity. What role does relationships play as we as Christian men, seek to solve this problem through the means of, of the gospel?
1: Everything. And I hear it from us on a regular basis. And it's a word that I have adopted into my communication. Let's do life together. That's what I hear out of the culture of the world. Well. We're already social distancing. And, and and that's probably, you know, I was thinking about social distancing. I say, well, social distancing didn't come with COVID. Social distancing came with culture. Yeah. When people began to build in gated communities, private country clubs, big churches on the hill, small churches in the neighborhood, you know, and... There's ours, north side, west side. Our current communication was a few years ago. Fresno is a tale of two cities. And so people begin to believe that. Until we begin to do life together with people that don't just look like us or, or understand like we do, then we can probably see change But right now, when we're doing life together by ourselves, you know, it's what it is, life together by ourselves. Mm. Well, I've
2: loved the opportunity to do life with you and and to be friends with you. I count you one of my really close friends, man. Mm -hmm. I I love you. Here's something that as two white men, Jordan and I, we come from a little bit different background, a little bit different understanding of politics and culture. But I think where we're both at is we're curious. Like we want to enter in, in a spirit of curiosity because we know neither of us have had the same experiences as you. Neither of us have lived the same life as you. And so as a godly black man in our church, what would you want two white men or uh, somebody who's listening who maybe is a white woman, what would you want us to know about your experiences, about what it's like to, to grow up as a, as a minority in, in this city or in, in this country? Like, what would you want for us to know?
1: We're curious. Uh, that's a big question. (laughs) You know, I think I don't know what I would like for you to know. And and are we talking about Christians? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that we we know that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, He said, "Let us make man and woman in our image, not just this particular man, or not just this particular woman, but let us make and, and whatever we do to that image that God has made." We understand there's a, there's an answer for it, and so I'm praying that we understand that who God truly is. That we're not just making sure we got fire insurance, and that we're gonna get here Sunday and Bible study and regen and all the great opportunities to get to know God more. But again, being so heavenly bound that you not know earthly good mm-hmm. would be a tragedy if we got to that point where we have to stand before Jesus and he asks us and he tell us to depart because you knew me not. And we'd be like, well, I did this, I did that, but did you do this? Did you do that? And and that's not just for the white brothers to understand. That's just for us as Christians to understand.
2: Yeah, there's, mm. there's one image of God and that's we all one. have been created in his, his image that's no matter one. what. Pigment, color, your skin is—we all have inherent value and worth because of that
1: one truth. Because that one truth.
0: Yeah, and what I hear you saying, Brian, is that we need to take seriously our roles as agents of reconciliation, as Paul calls it, and that if it's a priority for us that we understand the full breadth of the body of Christ and that it includes other colors, races, ethnicities, we as white brothers and sisters maybe missing out on a legit, beautiful piece of God's body and the experience of reconciliation that comes when we bridge those gaps. And uh, yeah, I thank you for the work that you've done in our city. I thank you for the work that you've done with my white bread friends, like <laughs> like Mike. Like me, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, my Wonder Bread buddies. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean, this is honestly, like I said before, one of the first real conversations we've had. We could sit for forever, but if you want to Leave us with one last thought, Brian. What would you hope for a church like The Well in this climate?
1: I'm here because I love The Well's mission statement, to be in every neighborhood. My prayer is that I can be a part of helping that vision come true. There are some fantastic people here at The Well who I've had the opportunity to sit down and break bread with and pray with and and strategize with and Mike and... Brad, and, and, and just watch as we begin to vision of what could be. And so I just think that there is not a better time and space in history for the church, as we spoke earlier, where the church missed slavery, civil rights. Mm-hmm. Here it is now, another chance. I hope that we grasp and take this chance and make God proud of the will. I told Mike I wanna be able to get to glory and to ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Benemco, how was it to be in the fire furnace? But I also want them to ask me, how was it to be able to mend those fences between African Americans and white Christians?
2: Mm. Thank you, Brian that's good, man. And as always, this time has been rich, man. I love sitting down with you, talking and really appreciate you coming on and sharing your views with us and your perspective. And uh, hopefully people have enjoyed hearing the things you have to say, because there's a lot of wisdom in that life of yours, man. So thanks for being here.
1: Praise God. Okay, brothers. Thank you. Thank you, Brian.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Wellcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends
1: about us. For more information about The Well Community Church, visit thewellcommunity.org.